The ball is tipped, and there you are. You're running for your life. You're a shooting star. One shining moment is all on the line. One shining moment. Welcome back, college basketball fans, to a busy eighth episode of CBB 365. I'm Adam Hipsky, as always, joined by Patrick Dallahan. And today we've got a packed episode on tap as we'll be joined by ESPN's Seth Greenberg, a member of the College Game Day crew, to take a deep dive into some of the most notable NBA draft prospects as well as a few of the transfers that we'll see on the court right away next season. After Seth, we'll give our all-time college hoops dream lineups and then finish off by introducing our new NBA 2K20 College League. Hello and welcome back to CBB 365. I'm Adam Hipsky, joined by member of the ESPN College Game Day crew, Seth Greenberg. Seth, how are you today? Doing all right. Doing the best we can in the circumstances we're in. We've got our health and we're appreciative of the doctors and nurses and healthcare workers and all uh, that are giving up a little bit of a lot of themselves for other people. It's kind of a great lesson to learn for all of us that, uh, you know, everyone is so committed embracing what they do well to help us live our lives and hopefully we can find someone who's going to find a cure for this virus but more importantly uh i'm, I'm moved by all that are so uh selfless in, in their uh ability to, to help others and, uh, for no other reason than that's the essence of who they are yeah for sure definitely a lot of uh first responders putting their life on the line and we're all thankful for them getting into the college basketball world uh, a lot of graduate transfers, whether it's Bryce Aiken or Seth Towns, Romello White, Matt Harms, Carleek Jones, are just a few of the top names that are going to be eligible immediate next season. What grad transfer is most interesting to you, and what grad transfer do you think will have the biggest impact next season? Omar Saw, Olivia Saw probably would have the biggest impact because I think that's a team that can win the national championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that you know, Bryce Aiken, obviously, he's a uh, really good guard that can make plays, get the lane, score it. Uh, you know, going to Seton Hall, you know, with the graduation that they got hit with in the backcourt, I think obviously he can have an impact. I think one thing is that we, we all look at all these transfers. Uh, do they really impact winning? You know, very rarely do they, like last year's grad transfers. I'm not sure there's a grad transfer last year that averaged double figures. Mm-hmm. We put so much attention to these grad transfers. They're more fit guys. Now, I think Saar has a chance to be a difference maker. He can, he's not a grad transfer. He's going to ask for exception mm-hmm. uh, and, and make an appeal because he's played at the highest level. He understands the, the competition and how tough and competitive and how you have to be ready to play each and every night coming from the ACC. He, he's a fit guy and that they need front court help with big wings and very good backcourt. I think that he will have his, uh, a huge, huge impact. But I think uh, the kid that's going to Louisville is going to have an impact. In yeah. Bradford, uh, uh, but he's a six-foot ball guard. Now, obviously, uh, you know that's interesting because that worked for Carson Edwards. I'm not sure if it's Carson Edwards at Purdue. But uh, he's still a, he's a volume shooter, a six-foot point guard. He's good with the ball. Uh, Louisville has a chance to have a really good team. Obviously, David Johnson in the backcourt would, will take some pressure off of him. So, I mean, I think it's going to be uh, – it'll be interesting to watch. I think we, we over-evaluate the transfer market. Uh, 
uh, it's amazing to me, like you said, no Joe Eastern leaving mm-hmm. Purdue to go to, to Michigan the other day. I mean, so he's going to leave after three years at Purdue. Uh, he played for one of the best programs in the Big Ten, one of the best programs in the country, played 28 minutes a game, very good defender, rebounds his position. What, is he going to find a jump shot between uh, West Lafayette and Ann Arbor? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, he's not solving his problems. So uh, I, I just think we overvalue grant transfers. And talking about Seth Towns and Bryce Aiken obviously transferring from the Ivy League, how big of a switch do you think going from the Ivy League or, you know, the Big East for Bryce Aiken's sake or Seth Towns going to the well, Big Ten? Seth Towns, the big thing is his health. I mean, I don't know how it's that, but, like, mm-hmm. you know, he's had microfracture surgery. Yeah. So, I mean, when, you know, like, when, you, when you're talking about microfracture surgery, I mean, it really, really changes everything. I mean, you, you know, he, he's gone basically two years without playing college basketball. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, as you evaluate his potential, uh, I think, you know, a lot has to do with, you know, is he going to be healthy? Uh, I think that's going to be, I think Romero White's going to be as interesting a transfer as anyone. I mean, you know, he goes into Ole Miss. Ole Miss has got those booking wings that are really, really good. Uh, I think that was a huge get because the guy knows who he is. He rebounds the ball, he makes plays. Matt Harms could be an impact player, although I think we can try to ask him to do too much at BYU. You know, those guys are interesting. The kid, Diara, from, uh, I think it's Kansas State, that's going to Virginia Tech. You know, he, he gives them a, a toughness and a maturity. But in the end, all right, who's going to really, really make a difference? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, is I think Yale has to get Bruner that's going to, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Will he make a difference? He had a really good year. So the kids that leave the Ivy, look, they have discipline. They know who they are. They, they're winning. You know, they're competitive kids. They're low-maintenance guys. Uh, all those things are good. The difference between that is, even though the Ivy's play on, on Friday and Saturday, you're not being asked to compete at the very, very highest level against the very best athletes in absolutely incredible environments. When games that mean every single game is an event. Now, not every single game in the Ivy League is an event. You go yeah. to Dartmouth, it's not an event. You go to Brown, it's not an event. You even go to Columbia, it's not an event. When you're playing in the SEC or the ACC or the Big Ten, Games aren't games, they're events, and, and there's an adjustment to be made. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and you talk about, you know, Olivier Saar and Nojo Eastern, guys that aren't grad transfers and aren't eligible immediately. Do you think coronavirus and, uh, you know, everything that's going on in the world, do you think that will have an impact on transfers applying for waivers? Do you think it helps their case at all? Maybe if a guy like, you know, is going closer to home, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it could have an impact. As far as uh, – Appeal's not going to be that. I mean, uh, wait for us. Wait until after mm-hmm. the NBA deadline to put put you know to put names in, in, in on the list. Number one, number two is you know he came to play for Danny Manning and was was of the impression. I'm thinking about see when the season ended and then when he, when they decided to make the coaching change. I think Sars situation is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken. Nojo Easter graduated. If I'm not mistaken. So I mean that that's a little bit of a different situation. But are people going to use it? Are they going to try to use it without mm-hmm. a doubt? And you know, to me, unless the kid's going closer to home, like I saw the situation with Matt McClung, and I don't know where mm-hmm. he's going to go. But I'm mean, like, he has an agent that's representing him. That's basically 
selling them around to different schools. Give me a break. I mean, you can play for Pat Ewing. I mean, yeah. he discovered you, basically. Uh, every team has a leading scorer. Uh, I mean, he's talking about, well, he's had 11 interviews with NBA people. NBA people, yeah, they have anything to do to interview anyone. Yeah. You know, the thing is that, like, their agent, the closest that their, that agent probably has gotten to the NBA is getting a guy in a summer league. Yeah, Pat Gilly, one of the top 50 players in the history of our game. Mm. So, I mean, uh, it'll be interesting, uh, you know, how, obviously, the coronavirus is is looked at in terms of, of appeals, but I wouldn't make it that I wouldn't make that the focal point of your appeal because I mean, I mean we're gonna have a hundred thousand people dying from this virus mm-hmm. in, you know, by by next month. And you're gonna trivialize trying to get it eligible due to the virus. Uh, to me that would be a very shallow uh, argument. Yeah, moving on uh, to NBA draft, obviously we you know, all the NBA draft is really unknown right now when it's going to be and, you know, whether it's going to be a virtual draft or if we're going to be able to have an in-person draft. But we're going to do a thing of boom or bust. I'll list a prospect and uh, you just give whether you think they'll uh, have a good NBA career, whether they will boom or whether they will bust. So we're going to start out with a guy who actually didn't play college, but is a really interesting prospect, and that's the Mellow Ball. Yeah, you know, first of all, I mean, just in general, the NBA is very elite club and it's not a rite of passage like i think too many young people think that you know uh, i'm a good prospect it's a rite of passage you know you're gonna have this great nba career i mean everyone there's 200 kids who put their name in the nba draft right now there's 60 guys drafted only 40 of them will be american players uh you know the freshmen probably probably another 15 will be gone by that so about 25 freshmen or sophomores will be, be drafted now, I, I think Volvo has a chance to be a really good player uh I, I think that his vision, his size, his feel, uh, he's got to take better care of the ball in terms of uh, risk-reward plays. His shot selection's got to improve. But he's a, he's young, and he's been on a stage for a really long time. And I think the biggest thing with the Pomelo ball is not his talent. It's not his potential. It's his environment. If he can separate himself from the static, like his brother did, or Lonzo did in the last year, I think that he has a chance to it'll really be a special player. So I'd say boom. Unless, uh, you know, his old man gets hold of him again. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next is a guy who unfortunately did not get to finish off his season in Memphis, who a lot of people are saying he's a top five guy, maybe even a top three, and that's James Wiseman. What do you think about him? Yeah, I'm a big guy. James Wiseman come to my uh, Adidas All-American camp. I'm a big James Wiseman fan. That uh, skilled size, transferable size, transferable skill. Terrific length. Uh, I think he's a very bright guy. He's going to learn how to, learn how to play hard all the time. But uh, I think he's going to be a terrific, terrific NBA player in time. Next up would be the Naismith and Wooden Player of the Year, Obi Toppin. I think Obi Toppin's going to be a solid uh, NBA player. I think he'll be a 10-12 year NBA player. I think he'll, you know, he can stretch a little bit. He's a very, very good passer. He, he's got a little bit of stiff in the hips. Uh, a little concerned about where he, what he's going to be doing defensively, but I think he's going to be a good, solid NBA player. Okay, and this last guy for this boomer bust would be Cole Anthony. You know, he came into the year as a high five-star recruit. Obviously, he didn't have the season he wanted or anyone thought that he would have at North Carolina. What do you think about him? And he's another one. I think he'll be solid. I'm not as high on Cole Anthony as other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I don't think he's a pure point guard. He's more of a ball guard. I'm not sure he has a really natural vision where he sees plays early. Um, I think he's physically strong. I think he can finish. I think he could have a chance to be a very good defender. 
but like when I uh, when I compare him to Kobe White, he's not as good a prospect as Kobe White in my mm-hmm. mind, who's a similar type player. I think that he'll be, you know, maybe an Austin Rivers type career more than, than maybe a guy that's just going to be a uh, really dominant player in the league. What's a guy that you look for uh, come come this draft, whenever it is, that you think will rise up the boards? That's a sleeper that you know not a lot of people have an eye on right now. Well, I don't know, but I, I've been on Tyrus Halliburton since his freshman year. I think the guy is a you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander type prospect. I think he's really, really got a chance to be uh, a terrific player. I mean, a terrific player. I'm not assigning Anthony Edwards as other people because mm-hmm. you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's a shot maker. I'm not sure he has a great feel. I think he's a he's he's a nice player, uh, but uh, I'm not as high on him as other people. But I, I love Halliburton. I love his size. I love his feel. I think Okongwu has a chance to uh, be better than people think. I think Okongwu is, you know, he's a specialist. The league, the league is a league of role players, and he does something really, really well. He can flat out rebound the basketball, and he is relentless, and he's unspoiled by the process. He's a, he's a low-maintenance guy uh, that really, really, to me, has a, has a chance to be a, a, a very, very good player. And I think another guy, two other guys that are underrated or undervalued, and I think Vernon Carey's undervalued. I think that uh, he's got a chance to be a Carl Anthony Towns-ish type player, not as good a shooter right now, but uh, he can score it on the block. He's got a feel. He's got to compete harder. I think Aaron Aismith's got a chance to be a really good player uh, from Vanderbilt. He's just an elite, elite three-point shooter with really, really uh, – legitimate deep range uh i think he i i really like i like his his potential especially the way the nba is right now undervalued probably tyrese maxey a little bit although not totally totally sold overall size but i think devin vassell the kid at florida state mm. is really uh he's, he's an nba jump shooter and you need nba jump shooters and then the, the other guy i would say probably sadiq bay if he stays in would be undervalued as a Draymond Greenish type of uh, skilled multi-position player. And then going the other way, do you have any guys that you think will fall further than expected that, you know, a lot of people are higher on and you're not so high on? I don't like trashing guys' careers because mm-hmm. I just don't think that's the right thing to do before they, you know, step on the court. Uh, I'm not as high on uh, like R.J. Hampton, although I'm not sure how people how high they are. I, I just I, I wasn't that high on him coming out of high school. I'm not sure he did anything last year to separate himself. I would say he is one that uh, I'm not as enamored with as maybe other people. Now to finish up draft talk, what would you say your top five is come NBA draft time? Wiseman would be you know, two really, really safe, safe picks. Uh, Edwards towards the bottom of that, probably. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that uh, Killian Hayes is a, is a very good player. I actually recruited his dad, mm-hmm. uh, and he's got a maturity about him. And I, I, I think Al, I think Albert is somehow, some way, going to get in the top five. I would probably drop Obi down right underneath that top five. All right, moving on. To wrap up this interview, Last Dance, what were your general thoughts on Last Dance now that all 10 episodes are completed? Oh, it was incredible. It was incredible. Gave us something to look forward to, number first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably f- number one is Jerry Krause didn't get the credit he deserved. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about the teams that he built, and he built it twice, uh, whether it was, you know, I think that, 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 that underappreciated. It was nice to see Scotty Pippen say something nice about him at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that Michael Jordan always created a cause was 
I, I, that, that is fascinating. Uh, I was big at, when I coached to try to create causes before games or in practice. Or, I mean, like the guy never took a game off. He never took a playoff. He was fiercely competitive. Uh, I didn't, you know, the whole stuff about pushing and getting on his teammates. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, look, that, some of that stuff goes on within teams anyway. So, I mean, it just, it, it is what it is. No matter which the season is exhausting when you're when you have those goals in mind at the length of the season. I just did a, a web show with uh, Jay Wright and Jim Beheim and Alvin Gentry, and I mean, we all said, you know, like at the end of the season, you're mentally, physically, mentally as much as anything, exhausted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet he his ability to fight through that. And then I think a, a great lesson for young players is the league's a league of role players again, right? If you look at the makeup of that team. Everyone basically played to their strengths. People, they, they, you had a group of players that showed people what they did well, not what they couldn't do, and they bought into that. And that's why that team functioned at such a high level, even though it had dysfunction with itself, with you know the way you know Robin messed around. Seth, thank you so much for joining today, taking time out of your day to join CBB three six five. No, you're good. Thank you for joining. We appreciate you taking your time. You too. You too. Thank you. We're going to give our starting five for the greatest players in college basketball history, and producer Jake Klein will be participating in this. So welcome to the show, Klein. Let's get right into it. So... For my starting five, at point guard, I had the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Brunson, player of the year, was an All-American and won two national championships. For me, I felt like this was pretty easy. I know Klein's going to get really mad at me because he doesn't like the Big East and such. Jalen Brunson, I mean, like, was just so good at Villanova. Just phenomenal. All right, at my one spot, I've got Trey Burke out of Michigan, just like uh, – Patrick said one player, Jalen Brunson, one player of the year. Trey Burke also did in his sophomore season. Trey Burke went to a national championship. He had a, Actually, technically speaking, the national championship didn't happen that year. I would say Michigan actually won the national championship that year just because Louisville had it vacated. But uh, I'm going to give my one spot at the point guard to Trey Burke. Great college basketball player, probably one of the best in this decade. Uh, if you go by that agree. 2013 season, you look at those two guys, and yeah, they were they were both very good. And Brunson, I part of this is being mm. a, a three year guy at Villanova. He only averaged nine point six points a game his first year, Ooh. and didn't play a lot. But like I look at his numbers, only fourteen point four points a game um, for his career, and. As a point guard, he's not contributing much else. Three point seven assists, two point five rebounds. Yeah, he he was the AP Player of the Year, right? So he, he was <laughs> good at was. something. Um, and he obviously, right? He was obviously he obviously carried them. They won the national championship twice in in his time. But for me, it's it's kind of an eye test. And Magic Johnson passed the eye test with flying. Oh, colors. you watched he, Magic Johnson in college? He is hands down. <laughs> The best college basketball guard of all time. His numbers are better than Brunson. His numbers, scoring-wise, are also better than Burke. And then he also contributes 7.9 assists per game, which is higher than either Burke or Brunson. And he contributes 7.9 rebounds a game. 
That's yes, he's also a six-eight point guard, dude. That's what makes him unbelievable. <laughs> is that he contributes in all three aspects of the game, and not to mention he's one of the two players that, along with Larry Bird, obviously, that really saved college basketball and saved basketball in general in Ooh. the nineteen seventy-eight season. And without Magic Johnson, I think basketball was dying. Here's what I think, though: is Magic Johnson, obviously, yeah, you look at numbers, but we're talking about on college bas- like in college basketball, yeah, he won a national championship, but he also didn't win a player of the year, which tells me that he wasn't even the best player in college basketball that season. So how can you not be the best player in college basketball that season but still be, you know, still be a number one, you know, best point guard of all time? You know, you look at Brunson, and, yeah, Brunson's controversial, but and so is Burke, I guess. But, you know, you can at least look at them and say that they were the best player in college basketball this year. There's nobody who was in college basketball when Trey Burke was playing, and there's nobody who was in college basketball when Jalen Brunson was playing. That stacks up to the guy who was playing in the, at the same time as Magic Johnson, which is a little guy called Larry Bird. And Larry Bird won player of the year that year because he was the only good player on his team. I mean, really, you can say that to some extent about Magic Johnson. There were guys who scored actually a little more than Magic Johnson that season they won the national championship, um, you know, which might be part of the reason why you look at his numbers and they don't, you know, jump off the page. But you also have to remember he contributed passing really more than anything. Tell me he wasn't even the best college basketball player at that time, which means he isn't the greatest point guard of all time because he was playing alongside another guy who's probably going to be in one of our lists as also in this all-time starting five. So that's just a product of playing at the same time as Larry Bird. By the way, his team beat Larry Bird's in the national championship. All right, so we're going to move on to the shooting guard. We're going to snake this around. So, Klein, you start us off with shooting guard. My shooting guard is Pistol Pete Maravich. And I think the thing with Pete Maravich is that it's one of those ones where, and we'll probably talk about a couple of these, where we'll look back on it and we'll say, okay, he was, you know, playing in the late 60s and early 70s, and it wasn't the same game um, then as it was now. It wasn't as fast. It wasn't as athletic. It wasn't as physical as it is now. Um, You know, we hear this argument even during the last dance with Michael Jordan where everyone says, oh, he's playing against janitors and stuff like that. That might be true, but here are Pistol Pete Maravich's uh, points per game numbers in his three seasons at uh, Louisiana State. His freshman year, he averaged 43.8 points a game. His sophomore year, 44.2 points a game. And his junior season, 44.5 points a game. 42% from the field or higher in every season. 43 points a game. (laughs) You know, I looked at Pete Maravich, and yeah, he obviously had a very convincing argument. But I went with Jerry West on this one. I also, I was really considering Jimmer Fredette just due to his time at BYU. But, you know, Jake Klein... uh, went hard on that. Yeah, pretty much bullied you out of shoes. Well, you know, I, I looked back and Jimmer Fredette had one really good season. And what we were doing this was on terms of an entire college career. Mm-hmm. And Jimmer Fredette had a one really good season. Now, if we're talking about single seasons, you know, I'm not going to say he's in the top five of single seasons, but I would say he'd probably be up there. And, you know, that that's a list that I would be 
more willing now looking back at it, that's a list I'd be more willing to put him on. But I went with Jerry West. You know, obviously he played in the 50s, didn't get a chance to watch him. But if you look at his numbers, he averaged 25 over the course of his college career, and he averaged 30 his junior season at West Virginia. So that obviously pops out to me. He also averaged almost 14 rebounds a game, and especially for Jerry West. Uh, that's incredible for me or, you know, in my eyes as a 6'2 guard to average 13.3 rebounds per game. And, you know, his assist numbers weren't even that much. I mean, he averaged only three assists a game in college. But, you know, he was two-time conference player of the year, you know, made made the tournament in a couple seasons and, you know, had two two consensus All-American years. So I went with Jerry West at my two spot. Uh, yeah, for my two spot, I went with Pistol Pete. Uh, I feel like it's pretty obvious. For me, at least, like – I read this thing where if there was a three-point line and he was playing college basketball, he would have averaged like 55 points a game or something. That's a joke. That's that's such a joke. Like, I we obviously weren't alive to see that. But, like, I feel like his greatness transcends time. You just don't see guys going out and doing that anymore. Just not ever. We're snaking, so back to you for your three spot. Yeah, I was, okay. So, for my small forward, I chose – Jake Klein's favorite college basketball player ever, Carmelo Anthony. Not my favorite. My favorite would be Syracuse center Craig Forth, who is now an elementary school principal in upstate New York. The college bas- college basketball isn't like the NBA where small forwards run the league. I feel like college basketball is literally only guards and centers. As far as performances go and players go, Carmelo Anthony for, for forwards just stood out. His run in March is one of the best. He, top two, but it's not one. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at my three spot, I was actually the only one to pick this, but I went with Larry Bird, uh, Larry Legend from Indiana State. Played three seasons with the Sycamores and averaged over 30 points a game over the course of his three seasons there. Uh, it actually honestly progressively got, you know, he progressively averaged less points uh, his freshman season he opened up averaging almost 33 points a game which is you know incredible and then you go to uh his sophomore season he had 30 and then his uh junior season he averaged almost 29 but what stands out to me about the 78-79 Indiana State roster was you know obviously them going undefeated until the national championship you know we talked about Magic Johnson beating Larry Bird in the national championship but Larry also led them in his junior season to a 33-0 record. And until that uh, final uh, national championship game, you know, they didn't lose. No matter, what the, no matter what their early season looked like or, you know, what they were, you know, whether it was a trap game or a big game or the conference championship, you know, Larry Bird led them uh, to being 33-1, really 33-0 until the national championship game. So, uh, averaging over 30 points a game in his college career. And then on top of his 30 points a game, also averaged 13 rebounds a game. So, you know, Larry Bird obviously had a great college career. So I put him at my three spot, uh, you know, which was uh, not the same as what uh, Klein and Patrick had. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like Larry Bird. I'm a Boston Celtics fan, so I don't have anything against him. I would Larry just Legend. say – I mean, the knock on Larry Bird is, I mean, first of all, you talk about his numbers 
declining. Part of that was that he was joined eventually by Carl Nix, who was another guy who played in the NBA Mm -hmm. um, for a good period of time. And for the 1978-1979 Indiana State Sycamores average 19.3 points a game. So part of that was Larry Bird getting a little bit of help that last season. And really, ultimately, is Carl Nix someone we're talking about 40 years later? No, not at all. But he was someone who was good and provided Larry Bird a little bit of help and took a little bit of the load off of Larry Bird uh, during that season. But really the knock on Larry Bird and that Indiana State team in general is that they played in what the Missouri Valley Conference, I believe yes. it is. So they're, they're playing Evansville, Illinois State, East Carolina, Cleveland State, Ball State, Butler, Tulsa, West Texas A&M, North Carolina, <laughs> A&T. These, these are not the, the Big Ten teams that Michigan State was playing that season um, en route to their national championship appearance. So that's my case, I guess, against Larry Bird and the case for Carmelo Anthony, who's, who I picked as well. He just rummaged through five of the best programs in the country. When you when you take down those big names without a, a ton of help, Carmelo Anthony was the head honcho on a team that really, with the exception of the scare against Oklahoma State, just marched right through March. And Ooh. that was a great pun. And ultimately, it, as Patrick said, had one of the most dominant performances in March Madness history. Fine, back to you because it's a snake format for your power um, forward. This is kind of a bad one to start on for me um, mm-hmm. because uh, my power forward is Bill Walton because I oh. think Christian Leitner. That's, um, that, that's not very fair, I, I don't think. You can't just pick someone because you don't like them. I don't like Christian Leitner. But he's, uh, he was phenomenal. Yeah, he was, he was pretty good, I would say. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. But Bill Walton was also pretty good. I partially like Bill Walton just because of who Bill Walton is now. That's and not he's, fair. <laughs> he's, he's, that he's is completely against what we're doing. He's absolutely nuts. And, but I think Bill Walton was... I can smell colors. I can feel sounds. <laughs> he was, he's the back end of the Lou Alcindor years at... UCLA, and he sort of kept that tradition going in the Pac-8, right? After Kareem or Lou Alcindor leaves, um, they sort of pick up right where they left off with Bill Walton. They win two more times, um, obviously under John Wooden in the three years that Walton was there. He was NCAA All-Tournament team all three years he was there. NCAA All-Region team all three years he was there. He was the uh, the most outstanding player in the tournament twice, both times they won. He was the AP player of the year twice. If Kareem Abdul-Jabbar just doesn't exist, just never happened, uh, or, or went somewhere else, there's a good chance we're still talking about UCLA as one of the greatest teams of this era because of Bill Walton. Bill Walton is a cooler dude than Christian Leitner. <laughs> Leitner doesn't wear tie-dye shirts he can't feel colors. He can't he, taste sounds. Yeah, he's, he's not about that, that Bill Walton life. 
<laughs> he actually was. He did get suspended for smoking marijuana in the NBA one time. So he is very much about that Bill Walton life. Well, you know, you go to the four spot, and I think Bill Walton has a convincing argument. You know, him and Leitner are both two <laughs> NCAA champions. I went with Christian Leitner. Now, I'm not saying that Bill Walton doesn't have an argument because he does. You know, he was a two-time champion, and, you know, Klein mentions all of his uh, accolades that he accumulated over his uh, – career at UCLA obviously three-time NCAA all-tourney and you know one of his many but Christian Leitner obviously is known for uh, having a great run at Duke and uh, one of the best college basketball players of all time so I went with Christian Leitner right here had a great career at Duke won national championship twice went to the Uh, final four all four years he was there yeah so uh, won a wooden award was best player of the year so was on the dream team too so, yeah, so I went with Christian Leitner at my four spot. I went with Christian Leitner, too. For me, it was a no-brainer. Like, he, his run at Duke is unparalleled. To me, like, he was the greatest player in March ever. Also, just, in my opinion, the greatest college basketball player ever, but we don't need to get into that right now. Like, he bullied Shaq when they, when they played against LSU. Like, that just doesn't happen. So, like, that's that's – something that really stood out to me in making him my starting power forward. And moving on to the center position, I have a fairly recent player for my center in uh, Anthony Davis in his 2012 season at Kentucky. He was just dominant. He won national player of the year. Was he, was he the most outstanding player? Yeah, he was. He was as a freshman. So he was a one and done. He was a consensus All-American. He won the Wooden Award. He was the AP Player of the Year. Most Outstanding Player of the Year. Was All-Tournament. Was All-Region. Was All-SEC. He was the SEC Defensive Player of the Year. SEC Rookie of the Year. He was just a freshman. Like, that is scary. Just scary. You know, at my five spot, this was, other than the point guard spot, this was the only position that all three of us had different answers for. And I went with Lou Alcindor, also known as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He played three seasons at UCLA. Obviously, it turned into a great, a terrific NBA player. But he played three seasons at UCLA and won a national title all three years there, which is absurd. And three-time All-Pac-12. Uh, he was the player of the year twice. So uh, to go back to school – and uh, play, you know, go be the best player in college basketball, come back to UCLA, and then just go win another one. Obviously, you know, going into his third season, you know, everyone definitely thought he would be the player of the year. But I went with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on this one just due to a fact that all three years he was at UCLA, just dominated, averaged over 24 points a game all three years, converted from the field at a 64% rate. So, I went with uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for this one. I, I, in part because of my affection for the old Big East, went with Patrick Ewing. Nope, that's Um, not his name. Sorry, Kyle Boone. Patrick frickin' Ewing. Thank you. Um, I mean, if you look at at Georgetown's history, right, they're coached by uh, James Cauliflower. (laughs) I'm not kidding. And for the first, let's see, their first, season is 1906 and they have a fluky season in 1941 right almost uh, 40 full years later where they make it all the way to the national final and lose 
Okay, then John Thompson comes, and all of a sudden they become absolutely dominant starting in 1974, which in part is thanks to John Thompson, who's a great coach. Really, up until then and up until 1980, Georgetown is, all things considered, a fairly irrelevant college basketball program. And Patrick Ewing not only puts them on the map, but, I mean, sticks a thumbtack on Washington, D.C., that's the size of the country and and gets everyone's attention and his stats are are just just off the chart right his scoring was it there it was absolutely there 17.7 points a game the year they win the championship in 1983 he was 16.4 but what made Patrick Ewing so special is how dominant he was and we talk about that with Shaq a lot in terms of his NBA career is how dominant he was, right? There were very few people in the country who could who could stand up to Patrick Ewing and and really think that they had a shot of slowing him down. Averaged a double-double those two seasons, 82-83, 83-84, and really was just such a freak athlete uh, inside the paint and such a brute force that there really wasn't, uh, wasn't much hope of stopping him. And as we've read with almost all of these guys, he has all the accolades and as does Lou Alcindor, as did Anthony Davis. But really what set me apart in terms of choosing Patrick Ewing is a, he played in the old big East, which was prime college basketball. And he was probably the best player in the old big East. B he put a program almost single-handedly on the map. Um, that was pretty irrelevant before he arrived. And C, he was just absolutely dominant inside, probably more so than any other single player in any other single era in college basketball history. All right. So moving on to our next and final topic, it's our NBA 2K20 College Basketball League that I spent about an hour and a half working on. So in this league, it's a simulation-based league. Each team plays 82 games because I'm an idiot and forgot to change the amount of games. So every week for the next couple of episodes, I will sim one month ahead. And on every episode, I'll give you a rundown of what happened that month. And in the league, there are six divisions, uh, two conferences, East and West in the Atlantic division. We have Georgia, Harvard, LSU, Duke, Dayton, and UConn in the Central Division. We have Virginia, Louisville, UNC, Illinois, Michigan, and Memphis in the Southeast. We have Florida, Kentucky, Xavier, Marquette, Villanova, and Tennessee. And in the Northwest, this division is wild. We have Seton Hall. In the Northwest? Yeah, this is what the thing suggested that I should do. Seton Hall. Gonzaga. Just going to travel cross-country for a yeah. conference game. Ohio State, Michigan State, Maryland, and Iowa. And then in the Pacific, we have UCLA, USC, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, and Arizona. And in the Southwest, we have Kansas, Baylor, Texas, San Diego State University, Texas Tech, and Iowa State. I would like to go on record now before this whole league starts because we haven't even started. Mm-hmm simulated a single game but i'm gonna list my predictions right now so i'll go i'll first start with my divisional i'll start with on the east side i'm gonna say duke is gonna edge out dayton in the atlantic central i'm gonna say is this last season's rosters 1920 
1920. Oh, 2019-2020. Yeah. Central, I'll go, looking at it in front of me, I'll say Louisville will probably uh, win the Central. And then Southeast, I'll go Villanova. Okay, so that's my East. Coming out of the East, I'm going to have – I'm going to say Villanova will come out of the East to play in the Oh, oh, it's also one and done in the playoffs. Also, well, yeah. That was a good way to simulate March Madness, March Madness effect. Yeah. Uh, West, I'm going to say Gonzaga is going to win the Northwest. I'll have the Pacific's really interesting because it's really just the Pac-12, and the Pac-12 wasn't all that strong this year. But I'll go uh, Oregon. Peyton Pritchard will lead them to a good season. Keep an eye out for UCLA, too. Yeah, UCLA. Uh, Not they, UCLA. I misspoke. USC. Uh, I, would, I would say UCLA. My prediction – I'm going to say UCLA is going to finish above USC. And and the Southwest, um, I'm going to say Kansas. Kansas and Baylor had a good run toward the end of the season. So simulation edition, I'm going to say Kansas. And then out of the West, I'm going to have Gonzaga. So my final is going to be what? Gonzaga, Villanova. The highest rated player in the league, by the way, Marcus Howard Hmm. on Marquette. And then followed up by Christian Vital at UConn, who's an 83. And then Obi Toppin. And then um, uh, Vernon Carey Jr. No, yeah, well, that definitely then, wasn't edited at all. No, it actually <laughs> wasn't. I think that'll do it for episode eight of CBB three six five. Shout out Seth Seth Greenberg, Seth on hoops for coming on CBB three six five today to discuss uh, many topics within the college basketball world. So thank you to Seth Greenberg. Glad we could get that set up and uh, shout out to him for coming on. So thanks for joining us for episode eight of CBB 365.